Amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles. Book of Luke. Book of Luke. We'll be looking today in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. As we continue on our series of Christmas songs, songs for the Christmas season. Uh, I love our Christmas hymns, but uh, this Christmas season we've been looking at songs in the Scripture that speak of this Advent season, this season of coming, the season that celebrates the first coming of Jesus and the season that looks forward to the second coming of Jesus. We looked first in the book of Genesis at the curses laid down upon man and creation because of their sin. We chiefly highlighted Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that speaks of the coming seed, the coming offspring, the coming child that will crush the serpent's head. Then we fast forward to the very uh, proclamation that this child would be born, the song that Mary sings in response to the angel's declaration that she would be the mother of the Messiah. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord because he has done great things for me. And today we want to look at another song. A song from one of Mary's relatives that we see sung in the book of Luke. This is Zachariah's song. Zechariah was uh, a man who was from the priestly line, and he was a priest indeed. He had married uh, a woman named Elizabeth, who also was from that priestly line. That's a, that's a very high calling, that both of them came from that same family. It would have, been, it would have shown that that, uh, that that was a super blessing for them to be people of such pedigree. And yet, Zechariah and Elizabeth had a problem. You see, they were older in age. And they had no children. Zechariah's name actually means God remembers. But it had seemed that Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Bible and Luke, that uh, describes them as, as men, uh, as people who were holy, righteous people. And yet, their prayer for a child had been forgotten. This is a, a, a great source of, of, of disgrace. In these days, if you were a couple that could not bear children, there must be a reason why God would not give you children. And so for these two people, these two people who were uh, from this great family, this priest family, their job was to serve the Lord. And yet, for some reason, God had not blessed them with a child. It seemed like God had not remembered them. And then in Luke chapter 1, everything changes. We see in Luke chapter 1 that Zechariah praises God for remembering his promises. Zechariah praises God for remembering his promises. And so we see today that for us, how much more has God remembered his promises in our life? And so Zechariah is going to burst into song because God remembers. And Zechariah is going to give us three reasons this morning, three proofs that God remembers his promises to us. So before we consider Zechariah, or Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 79. We know that the word of God is living and breathing, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so before we consider this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning as we read Zechariah's song of praise, his prophecy of praise, 
that you would help us to remember that you remember us today. That you have not forgotten us. That though we sit in darkness, you have caused your light to shine in our life. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray this morning as we think about uh, Jesus' first coming, his, his miraculous birth. We pray that you'd help us also look forward to his second coming where you will make all things right. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what happens between Luke chapter 1, the first few verses, and the last few verses of Luke chapter 1? Because in the first few verses of Luke chapter 1, if you would look in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, we read this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. That's not reason to burst into praise. That God seems to have forgotten them. They are walking blamelessly before the Lord. They are righteous people. They seem to be doing all the right things, and yet their life is missing something. It's missing a chief blessing from the Lord. And I imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth set up nights, weeping, wondering, Lord, have we done something wrong? Lord, what is your plan for us? Lord, we're advanced in years. We're, pla- we're past the, the time of childbearing, Lord, and yet we are missing this blessing. In fact, we talked about in Genesis chapter 3. When God pronounced a curse upon man and woman, he told woman, he said, because of your sin, you will have pain in childbearing. And we talked about how that pain is not just the physical pain that a woman uh, experiences in the birth of a child, but that, that pain also extends to the fact that pregnancy would be hard and that conception would not always take place and those who desired to have children would not have children. And how many stories of women in the Bible who want to have children and cannot, do we find? This is all a product of sin. And Aaron, or, and, and Zechariah, and Elizabeth wonder, did we do something wrong? There's not room for praise there. But then a day came. A day came that it was Zechariah's turn, chosen by Lot, to go into the temple and to offer praise and prayer. Now, this would have been uh, because of the amount of priests that they had and the, the, the fact that this event only happened once or twice a year. Uh, this was a very high honor. In fact, this was probably Zechariah's only time in his entire life to go into the holy place in the temple and to offer this sacrifice. This would have been the event of his life. This would have been what all of his priestly training led up to. It had fallen on him. It was his opportunity, his day. And so the people gather together and Zechariah goes into the midst of the temple to offer sacrifice and prayer. And as he's offering prayer alone in the temple while the worshipers are outside praying and praising, there appears to Zechariah an angel. And the angel's first words to Zechariah are, your, your, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been answered. In other words, the, the angel looks at Zechariah and tells him, the Lord has remembered your prayers. The Lord remembers. We read this in Luke chapter 1, uh, the, in verse 8, it says, While he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And in verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. God is gracious. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. So what happens here? He hears this great proclamation that the angel has said, you will have a child. Your prayers have been heard. Now imagine when Zechariah went into the temple to offer this prayer for the people of Israel. I, I imagine that he's praying not just that he would have a child. I imagine that's a prayer that he prayed many times in his life. But I imagine that his prayer for the people of Israel is that a child would be given. A Messiah would be born. That would have been Zechariah's prayer. That one time a year, Zechariah would have gone to the Lord for his people and he would have prayed, Lord, send another Moses. Send one who would, who would redeem us from this. Send that child long promised by Isaiah. Send the, the coming Messiah. And here the angel appears and says, your prayers have been heard. The Messiah is coming. You will have a child and his name will be John. The, the, the name John means God is gracious. And this is exactly what hear God being gracious to Zechariah. But Zechariah hears this, and Zechariah responds in kind of a different way than Mary responds. Both of them respond uh, perplexed by this information, but John doubts. Uh, John asks in a, with a doubting spirit. He says uh, to the angel in verse 18, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How, how can this be? This, this can't be true. I, I must be seeing something. I must have eaten some, something bad last night, and now I'm having a hallucination. You can't really be an angel. I can't really be a father. I can't really have a child. And what does the angel say? The angel responds, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife, uh, wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So what happens? Zechariah responds to the angel, how can this be? How can I believe this? Give me a sign. And the angel responds to him, I'll give you a sign. I'm Gabriel. I came from the presence of God to give you this good news. And so because you did not believe me, because you doubted, you will be mute. You will be unable to speak until this child is born. Now think about that. This is Zechariah, unable to speak for at least nine months, probably more. And he comes out of the temple and the people are expecting him to explain why he was in there so long. And all he can do is make signs. And sure enough, his wife conceives. And she is growing a baby in their later years. And the, the, the promise of God has been fulfilled in them. She says that this is to take away her approach among people. Little did she know, this wasn't just a personal reproach, but this would be the reproach of all people that this child would come and take away. So what happens after that? Well, uh, time comes for, uh, for Elizabeth to give birth. We flip ahead just a little bit uh, and, and Luke, toward the end of Luke, toward uh, uh, 57, verse 57. And we read this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Now, there's something about a mother's word here, right? Even in these days where women were, uh, were kind of set to the back seat and didn't have a great opinion, the whole family comes around and says, well, we're going to name him John. And Elizabeth stands up and says, no, you aren't. His name, his name is John, not Zechariah. His name is John. And they look at her and, of course, they don't have any power to name this child. And so they do the best thing. And they turn to the father. And they say, Zechariah, so you want to name this baby after you, John? Nobody in your family is named John. And they bring Zechariah aboard to ride on. He writes on the board, his name is John. Not we shall name him John. He already had a name. The angel gave me his name. His name is John. God is gracious. And then John's mouth is freed. His tongue begins to work again. And he can speak for the first time in nine plus months. And what's the first thing that he does? We see that he burst into praise for what the Lord had done. We come to Zechariah's prophecy, Zechariah's song in verse 67. And we read this. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah bursts into a song of praise. And there's, there's a method to this song of praise. Uh, Zechariah is praising God because God has remembered his promise. But the question is, what promise and to whom? What promise did God remember, and to whom did he remember it? Well, Zechariah gives us three proofs that God remembers his promises. The first one that we see in this song of praise, this prophecy of praise, is that Zechariah praises God for remembering his promise to David. He says in here, in verse 69, he says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, you remember David. You remember David. The most famous story of David is as a young shepherd boy, he goes out to visit his brothers fighting in the war. And he comes out there and there's a giant Philistine out there who's mocking the living God. And everybody else on the Israelite side is hiding behind rocks. They're too scared. And David says, I'll go fight him. And David goes and he grabs five smooth stones, casts them at the giant, and the giant falls dead. David is then anointed, he is anointed king before, his, before this time, and, and uh, through a series of, of events, he becomes king of Israel. And David reigns for about 40 years as the great king of Israel. But it's after David is established as king that all the war has been fought, and David is now established on the throne. He is king of Israel, just as God promised. David says, he brings the prophet Nathan to him, and he says, Nathan, the Lord has done all this for me. I want to do something for the Lord. I want to build him a house. At that time, the, uh, the, the tabernacle was, was still in existence. That's simply a tent that the Ark of the Covenant was housed in. 
And David says, it's not right that I have a castle. I have a house. I have a palace. But the Lord dwells in a tent. I want to build him a temple, a house. And Nathan says, that sounds like a good idea. You go for it. Nathan leaves the room and the Lord speaks to Nathan and says, hold on a second. David won't build me a house. Go back and tell David that he is a man of war. and He has blood in his hands. And so he cannot build my temple, but his child will build my temple. But tell David this. Instead of him building me a house, I will build him a house. I will build him a throne. And on that throne, his child shall sit forever and ever and ever and ever. In other words, David, from your family shall come the eternal king, the king of kings. That is the promise to David. And that promise of David was passed on and passed on and passed on and passed on. And here, Zechariah is saying that promise to David is coming true. He says in the first part of this prophecy, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has come to them and he has saved them. And how has he done so? He has done so by raising up a horn power. When we think about horned animals, horned bull, you see those big, long Texas longhorns. That, what does that show? That shows their power, their might. And here in this prophecy, Zechariah is saying that the Lord has risen up power for Israel from the throne of David. He has raised up a king. Zechariah knows that not his child, his child won't be king, but his child will go and proclaim that the king has come. His child will will be like Elijah, proclaiming that God is coming. And surely one day, Zechariah would have known that Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. Mary, from the line of David, betrothed to Joseph, from the line of David, would go to the city of David, Bethlehem, and there she would give birth to the newborn king. God remembers his promise to David. Zechariah continues on, as he spoke from the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. God made a promise to David, and that promise wasn't just to David, but it was to all the people of Israel. And God would fulfill that promise. But God didn't just fulfill the promise to David. Zechariah praises God. He gives a second proof that God remembers his promise. The second proof is that Zechariah praises God for remembering his promise to Abraham. He says in here, to remember his holy covenant, verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. You remember Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham. Abram was his name, and God called him out of the pagan land of Ur, and God appeared to him and said, follow me, and I will give you a land, and I will bless you, and I will give you an offspring. I will make you a great nation, and from that nation, the whole world will be blessed. And sure enough, Abraham follows the Lord. Well, there's one night uh, where uh, he brings his cousin Lot, his nephew Lot, and uh, they're, 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 the Lord is blessing them. And so they have a whole lot of people. And if you get a whole lot of people together, what are you going to have? Eventually, you're going to have conflict. And so they have conflict between them. And so Abram tells Lot, hey, I want you to go, go whichever way you want to, and I'll go the opposite way. So Lot chooses to dwell near Sodom and Gomorrah. They go off toward that way, and it isn't long before Abram hears that his nephew Lot has been conquered by the kings of the area, and he has been held hostage. And so Abram calls upon the Lord and says, help me to deliver them. And so sure enough, the battle rages and Abraham comes out on top. And Abraham, after that day is over, the long day of battling, he has saved his nephew Lot. He has saved his family. He is lying in his tent and he hears the Lord speak to him. The Lord tells him, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. 
I am your shield. And the response is, yes, you are my reward. But I don't have any children to pass this reward on to. You told me you'd make me a nation, but the only one in my family that is close to my heir is, a, is, is way off. He's not my child. And God says, Abraham, go outside. Step outside of your tent. Look up to the sky. Count the stars in the sky. Abraham begins counting the stars. And God tells him, I will multiply your offspring to be more than these stars. And I will bless you. And all the people of the earth will call you blessed. And, and, and through your line, through your family, all the people of the earth will be blessed. And Zechariah is saying all these years later, that promise to Abraham is coming true. That God is remembering his covenant to Abraham. That all those stars in the sky, all the children that Abraham would have, those children would come to him not by flesh, but by faith. And those children would hear the call of John to repent for the kingdom of God is now. And those children would hear the call of Jesus who would come and who would say, repent for the kingdom of God is now. And they would hear the call of Jesus that said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And they would trust in Jesus and follow him. And by doing so, they would be sons of Abraham. God remembers his promise to Abraham. He doesn't just remember his promise to David. God doesn't just remember his promise to Abraham. But last, but certainly not least... Zechariah promised, praised God because he remembers his promise to all people. Up to this psalm, up to, up to this point in the song, Zechariah has praised God for all the things that he's done. He's remembered his promise to David. He's remembered his promise to Abraham. But it's at this point in the psalm, and in verse 76, that Zechariah turns his attention to his child. He says in verse 76, And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to all His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Can you imagine this moment? This moment, Zechariah, who never thought he would be a father, he's past the childbearing age, his wife is barren, and yet here he holds his child. No ordinary child, but a child promised by God, who would be the prophet of the Most High. And he looks at this baby and he tells this baby, you, he prophesies over it, you will be a prophet of the Most High. And you, you will proclaim to people, to God's people, that their sins have been forgiven. And you will proclaim to them that though they dwell in darkness, the sun is rising. The sun is coming up over the horizon and that light will shine upon those who dwell in darkness. And they will see a great light. And even in the shadow of death, that light will lead them to peace. What a prophecy. What a prophecy that Zechariah proclaims. Zechariah proclaims this because he knows that he, he now has tangible proof that God will save his people. This proof is wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is a child that will come and take away not just the reproach of Elizabeth, but the reproach of the entire world. John is proof that Jesus would be born. John would proclaim that one is coming who does not baptize with water, but baptizes with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah knew that this promise to God 
this promise from God would be remembered. And that not just, not just those who were able to claim the name of Abraham through their family tree, but to all people who dwell in darkness. Those Gentiles that dwell in darkness. Those Romans that dwell in darkness. Those Greeks that dwell, that dwell in darkness. Those Mississippians who dwell in darkness. They have seen a great light. Jesus would be born for you and for me. God remembers his promises. You and I, as people, we can proclaim. We can proclaim with loud proclamations, with loud praises that God remembers his promise to us. God promised to save us, to send us a Messiah, and that Messiah was born in Bethlehem. And all of us who have called upon his name, we know that we, 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 not, we won't might be saved. We won't probably be saved. We can say with absolute certainty we will be saved. That the darkness that we feel today, that the pain that we feel today, all this will be taken away. Because Jesus did not just come once, but that Jesus is coming again. Christmas is a time that is often bittersweet. In fact, the Advent itself, the coming of Jesus itself, brings great joy and great sadness. Yes, the angels proclaim joy to the world. But right after that, Herod kills all the children under two. There's great joy, but there's great sadness. But the promise of God is that sadness will not always be. That the dark will be taken away. And that those who dwell in darkness, they will see a great light. That light will rise and will shine. Today, we know a few things from this passage. The first thing that we are confident in is that any belief in the coming Messiah, in the coming sunrise, they will have light shine. If they repent of their sins, if they turn away from darkness, they will be saved. And we praise God that he has saved us. But this passage also reminds us that the darkness that we feel every day, that the bittersweet sadness that we feel at this time of year, the sadness that we feel every day, the, the, the problems that we experience, the pain that we experience, the anxiety that we have, all those things that cloud us, we are confident that the light is shining. It may be cloudy, it may be dark, but we are confident that Jesus saves. We are confident that he did not just come once, he will come again. We read this and we ask ourselves the question, what is the response of God's people to this passage? What shall we do in response to this passage? The, the response is clear for those who have not trusted in Jesus. That response is to trust in Jesus, that God does remember his promises, that God can take away reproach, that God can take away sins. But what about for God's people? There is no greater time than to follow the people of Israel, renewing our prayers and praying, come, Jesus, come. There's no greater time than Christus, Christmas to remember that Jesus will come again. And there's no greater time than Christmas to pray, Lord, come quickly. Come right every wrong. Come bring peace on earth. The peace that we have in our hearts, the peace that you have filled us with, come and make this peace worldwide and reign on your throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no greater time to fast and wait for that moment, to hunger for that moment. Lord, bring your peace on earth. There's no greater time to sing. Lord, thank you for the peace that you have brought to me. 
bring your peace on earth. And last but not least, for God's people, there is no greater time to share the peace that God has given us. God has given us peace. We who once lived in darkness, we have been given peace. Verse 79, he guides our feet into the way of peace. And there's no greater time than Christmas to introduce our friends, and our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, our children to the peace that God gives. We look to this God who remembers and we thank God that he remembers his promise to David. And we thank God that he remembered his promise to Abraham. But more importantly, we thank God that he remembered his promise to us. And we ask him, Lord, come again. Come and bring your peace. Because you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would help us indeed to trust you and to know you as the Prince of Peace. We pray this morning that you would help us to praise you and to remember that you have done great things. That you do remember that you are gracious. And we pray this morning that you would bless our church. And that your word would go forth. That it would save. That it would strengthen. That it would encourage. That you would help us, Lord, to know that you are a God who remembers and a God who saves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.